Hi, this is Chris from Canopy and Stars, and welcome to A Life More Wild. In this episode, we're talking art and inspiration in nature. Later on, we'll be hearing from a man who runs artist retreats, galleries, and community groups on his land in Devon, and who is also sort of my boss. But first, we're in Scotland for a walk with Gemma Kearney, whose voice and incredible laugh you might recognise from Six Music, Radio One, and a ton of other things. Okay, imagine this, guys, listening. A woods birds, you open up a gate and then you walk kind of into a cave. Gemma and her partner Cameron moved to Edinburgh a couple of years ago and she is now, check this out for a job title, Thinker in Residence at Jupiter Artland, which is an enormous outdoor sculpture park full of weird structures and figures scattered through the woods of a country estate just west of the city. Which way should we go, Cam? Follow the sunshine. Yeah, let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Because I met Cameron up a mountain, I'm just always trusting him that he's like some sort of mountaineer in my mind. We join her on a very windy day to talk putting down new roots, crystal caves, and her love of the outdoors. Here we are in one of the weirdest, most wonderful <laughs> parts of our Scottish life. I can't believe that we get to spend time at Jupiter Artland. Yeah, I can't either. You've got your own little bothy here that you're using. It's too good to be true because this does feel like an Alice in Wonderland type of place. I guess we should start from the beginning. It's a, what would you even call Jupiter? It's a big arts gallery, interactive? Yeah, I guess that the closest example would be an art park, which there's sculpture, there's an experience, there's art education. There's very strange elements in terms of design. So even the hills are architected to bend your mind. There's an amethyst cave. It's really bananas, but so amazing. I mean, I've already had quite an unusual adult life with my job working in radio and TV and literature and all the mad cap ridiculous, pretentious stuff that I do. But I wouldn't have expected to find Jupiter Artland. I'd never heard of it until I moved to Scotland. And I wouldn't have expected to end up writing books and being able to be a thinker in residence. What even is a thinker in residence? <laughs> a thinker in residence at Jupiter Artland. So I, I, I'm here and I have a residency so I can come to Jupiter whenever I want. <laughs> I have keys and I have my own little office essentially, a little warm spot so even on a cold day I can utilise the resources, there's some excellent books in the mini library here and I am writing my book but I also am integrated into the planning of events here and I see Jupiter Artland as a space of wizardry and the people that run it are pretty mystic so I really like that. <laughs> I'm really happy with it. Did you think that when we met in Malawi in 2018, that we would end up not only living together, but living together in Scotland and regularly hanging out at an art park? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I certainly didn't. Oh, we're at the mounds. So to describe these, 
the mounds are what you come across when you first come in to Jupiter, just to really set the tone. There's a series of ponds, really strangely shaped and well-designed. This is where you start to wonder whether you're on the actual planet. And I love that Jupiter has this metaphoric frequency that you might not be actually on Earth, but on Jupiter. Astrologically as well, I think Jupiter represents a lot of very beautiful things, <laughs> from femininity to creativity. So we live in the centre of Edinburgh and you can drive out and not only be in wilderness when you live in Scotland, but you can find somewhere as eccentric, I guess, as, as this place. And it's divided up into different sections. Right now we're in the learning area. So sometimes when I'm working in my office stroke library stroke bothy, call it whatever you want, my little safe space, I see really excitable children, little people, <laughs> hopefully the leaders of our future, <laughs> running around here, learning in the outdoors. And I really love the energy from many people immersing themselves in the outdoors and being guided by real troubadours of an alternative education and, and how important art is. I am going to be, at the time of recording, 37 in less than a week. I started my job on radio when I was 23. So I've been doing this for a long time. I know I still dress like a child. I'm actually a professional broadcaster these days. And what's happened is that it's evolved, it's changed, I've learned, I've grown. And one of the things that I probably have worked out, at least, I love nature and I love to be outdoors and I'd already moved out of the city of London quite a long time ago. I moved to Margate on the southeast coast and then I was swimming in the sea regularly. I've got to say our move to Scotland was led by different feelings and thoughts and like this kind of want for new beginnings and we've both got Scottish heritage as well which is really nice to kind of if you've got if you need to think about roots like we can. I mean I have a rampant imagination to the exhaustion of myself and most people that know me so to find a way to live in amongst nature, where your imagination is allowed to roam free, has been really helpful for me. <laughs> it seems like the kind of swimming in Margate, that was your introduction to nature. And it, it like, I mean, it, it's hard to find stuff like that living in London, which you were doing before moving to Margate. Yeah, I definitely was much more inspired by an urban scape for a long time. In my 20s, my career started taking off. I was working in amongst pop culture. I was doing a lot of breakfast radio shifts. I've done so many different types of radio, but working for Radio One, the biggest youth station in the country, in so many ways, it was quote unquote, 
successful and exciting, but it was very, very, very busy. And if I'm completely honest, it's always interesting what language people use, but I did reach a type of burnout. And I think having the sea close when I lived in Margate, and it was literally outside my bedroom window and my lounge window, I could see the Walpole Bay tidal pool. So I didn't even have to check the tidal times online or anything, I could just see the tide. It put a lot of things into context. It's all that poetic stuff that people talk about when you see a massive blue sea every day, it makes you feel a bit smaller, but in a good way. <laughs> Big nature, I guess, but for me it's blue. For you it's mountains, I think. I think it's two sides of the same coin. It's that great expense, I think, which is something that kind of opens up your horizon. I, I, I think my relationship with the sea changed my life for the better and invited me to what nature can really, really do for the soul. And then now it's sort of changed a little bit now that I'm in Edinburgh, now that I'm in Scotland, I can get the same feelings about Arthur's seat that I know really well. <laughs> I have a strange relationship with Arthur because I broke my leg up Arthur's seat three days into living in Scotland. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> So this is the Weeping Girls. Um, well, these are the Weeping Girls. So they are a series of sculpture that are very evocative, quite haunting. And they are of three girls, essentially, children, in Victorian smocks, it looks like, with their hair cascading around their face so you can't see their faces um, and they're crying it's really sad four girls is there we got one hiding over here i mean you got another spooky, one aren't they uh oh five and they're using the trees to lean against this i've never seen these you know have you never no. seen the girls I, and everybody talks about them because they really affect people but i actually have purposefully not tried to make it out to them because they they upset me I'm pretty sensitive, and why are these girls crying? They don't look like they're having happy tears, do they? I wish we could find the Amethyst Cave. How close are we, do you know? Uh, I do, I believe it's that way. Is it? Let's head towards the Amethyst Cave, because that's my favorite. I always describe places in rhythms, because I feel for me, it makes me understand like what I might, feel how I might go about things in different places. And what was London's rhythm? Oh, we can hear it. You can hear it in grime music. And what about Edinburgh? What would be Edinburgh's rhythm? It's quite refined, as we always say. We all giggle quite a lot, because we live in a student area of Edinburgh. But we feel like the naughty ones. <laughs> Everybody's holding um, a classical instrument case and, and clutching a plant lovely, lovingly, and I love that. Oh, it's incredible. I'll, I'll be walking down the street and there'll be a, a group of university students in front of me and I'll just kind of overhear conversations and they're talking about foreign policy. Well, neither of us went to university either, so again, it's quite amazing being in, in a university city. We're going back to school. <laughs> I think this is the way Do you to reckon? Be I think so. I'm impressed if you know. Oh, oh. 
Yes! I believe these are it, guys. Okay, imagine this, guys, listening. A wood, birds, you open up a gate, and then you walk kind of into a cave. There's a very thin pathway. And as you go down the steps, you're going deeper underground, knowing that when you get to the bottom, you will be immersed. <laughs> like the never-ending story. <laughs> Into an amethyst cave. So what are the special properties of amethyst? The ancient Greeks used amethyst. I'm sure a lot of different ancient cultures would have come across the properties of amethyst, partly because it's so beautiful. It's purple, mauves, sparkly, iridescent, mystic deliciousness. Apparently, it's just, it's a centering crystal. So it, it will keep you grounded. I do feel grounded here in this cave. Is this your favorite part of the, the whole Jupiter Artland? Don't you feel like the walls resonate, like a nice feeling? I mean, I would happily sit and write my book from in here. Yeah? It's really cooling as well, isn't it? Mm. There's a beautiful American poet called Mary Oliver, and um, she writes a lot about like the healing powers of nature and the outdoors for your mind and body. But there is something about that practice within nature, whether it's a swim, whether it's like potting in your garden. It's like when I see the, the little kids when they come here to you know, get involved in workshops and learn. And they're coming back with bunches of leaves, holding them in their hands. This kind of tactile nature that we can have when we're like gentle but loving within nature. It changes the way you breathe. It changes how you think creatively. It changes lives. It definitely does. And again, you have really taught me that, Cameron, because you are naturally somebody that is outdoorsy. I talk to everybody about how much I love the way that Edinburgh is kind of integrated nature within a city. And I keep talking about how like that's hard to come by. Yeah, I'm increasingly passionate about it the older I get. <laughs> Not just myself enhancement. I, I think it's fundamental that we experience nature. And I really think that we all deserve a chance to roll around in the grass. <laughs> We do! And hug a drink, they're so fun. <laughs> do we head on back? Get back to the real world. It's been a lovely morning. Lovely, it's so nice to walk around here. That was the irrepressible Gemma Kearney residing thoughtfully in the huge space at Jupiter Artland. On a slightly smaller scale, Tom Dixon, who actually co-founded Canopy and Stars back in 2010, is doing something similar with the land he now lives on in Devon, inviting community groups and artists to come and be inspired by the outdoors. It's just a part of what he feels is a responsibility that all businesses have to give back to nature and society where they can. First of all, tell us where you are, set the scene, take us to Devon. Okay. 
<laughs> well, so where we are is right up on the moor. And today is a typical moor day, I would say. Foggy, misty, pretty much the weather that we get for sort of five months of the year. Um, I shouldn't really be saying that because <laughs> we try to get people to come down here. But uh, no, it's got that kind of... Um, uh, slightly mystical uh, kind of feel to it. Um, Hounds of the Baskervilles type day today, wet and uh, slightly misty. How long have you been down there now? Uh, we moved down here just uh, the end of 2019. So September 2019, end of September 2019. And we moved from Bristol. And for us, it was about, uh, I guess, sort of trying to live a life more wild and spent a lot of time <laughs> helping other people to do that and always felt really inspired by the owners and and uh, seeing the kind of lives that they lived and and obviously as a business that's what we're all about so for me it was um and and us as a family it was about trying to sort of move towards a more sort of life connected to nature and living in the countryside and um yeah that was the big driver of the move so when you say us as a business obviously you you founded canopy and stars way way back what 10, 12 years ago now. So how did that come about? I'd reached the point where I was looking to to change and do something that was more aligned with my passions and interests. And I became aware of Sordays and it's a company that I'd always admired and um, obviously with a focus on ethical business and travel. And that's something that I really um, love and always been passionate about. So I approached Alistair Sorday, a founder of Sordays, and um, the idea really grew from a little acorn of an idea of a treehouse company. And uh, from that point onwards, we, we developed the business as, as now we know as Canopy and Stars. I mean, it's quite a popular idea now. But back then, did people get it? Was everyone jumping on board or was there a bit of confusion? Yeah, I guess there was an element more. You're right. It's it's a really well understood concept now, glamping. And in fact, when we started, we didn't even really mention the word glamping anywhere on the website. We were slightly sort of uh, sniffy about it. Um, <laughs> we were always sort of more, I guess, about um, holidays in nature. But I had this little notebook that I'd created, which was a leather bound um, mood board of of everything that that um, I felt we wanted Canopy and Stars to be. So it was much more than just the structures, but it was this whole sort of life around it. And that really helped to sort of explain the concept, I suppose, to people that perhaps weren't fully on board with it. I do remember someone sort of saying once to me about the book that I'd really sort of managed to get in his head around what he was dreaming of. And it, and it kind of just brought it to life. And I guess because that it was so broad in all these different sort of photographic references and sketches, that's really where we wanted to be. We didn't want to be too defined by one particular type of space or another. It was really letting the, the community grow the collection, if you like. Did you not go down to see someone who was going to build a treehouse and didn't have any trees? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, back then that was okay because we didn't have guests and owners and things like that to deal with. So it was kind of like, okay. How did Canopy Stars then take shape in the early days? Well, Chris, um, as you know, <laughs> Those early days um, when it was, so it was just the two of us for some time. And I think that um, for me, it was time, yeah, chatting together, sort of thinking um, uh, about where the business could go. I I, I also remember our first, uh, I think it it might have been your first day at work or certainly it was in the first couple of weeks um, when we went out on a on a road trip in the trusty gas car um, that that was oh, just the bane of my uh, life for inspection trips, um, and it broke down um, somewhere in Wiltshire, I think, and uh, and that was yeah, this is the way it goes, yeah, this is our this is our company car. I was so pleased because that was first day on the job, and we happened to drive through essentially the town I went to school, 
and loads of places I knew so I could navigate and look really useful. I was very <laughs> pleased about that for day one on the job. Yeah. And then we got a lift back uh, in a sort of, a, a, I guess, a recovery vehicle at um, sort of two o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah. I don't know why it took so long. But yeah, those early days, just being out on the road, visiting people, meeting owners. Um, yeah, well, I don't think any of us thought we would get many bookings, but uh, actually it proved to be quite a success and, uh, and it's grown from there. And uh, yeah, what an adventure. Was this a path you were always on to having your own place and, and living the way you do now? I think so. I think it's um, it's one of those things where if you want to look at the, the the present or the future, you kind of look back at your past and sort of join the gaps, you know, in the steps that you take in life. And my childhood was spent on a small holding in, in North Devon. And, and a lot of that time was outdoors, building dens and tree houses and things like that. And we holidayed in yurts and gypsy caravans before I, I was, you know, aware of this opportunity that, that that became Canopy and Stars. But I think there was always this uh, part of me that felt that um, to sort of complete my, my, I guess, myself and my, you know, what we wanted as a family, that actually running a space um, was really important. And and so it's always been a, an ambition. And I feel very grateful and lucky to, to now be doing that. Have you got a particular guest that stands out? Um, a lot of proposals and honeymoons. Uh, I think we've had, um, so just in the last week, we, we had one, which was really wonderful. She was asking her boyfriend and, um, and he said yes. And uh, they had all these amazing things mapped out to do and they had beautiful weather. And uh, that was really exciting for them. But we've had, I reckon, in the two years, we must have had at least four proposals that's pretty special that someone um, yeah that must be nice to sort of yeah be involved in that story in some way yeah and then quite a few honeymoons as well there's a lot of special occasions and and it's quite a thing that they're trusting you in there's high expectations with holidays so we really sort of try to pull out all the stops i think we both naturally this is myself and um fashion my partner um we both enjoy hosting and we like creating these nice experiences for people so we do put a lot of effort into that but you hope that they do take it with them in some way. So it's not just the birthday or the proposal, it's something that resonates in the rest of their lives. They think, actually, I could live a bit more outdoors. Yeah, I think we do. And I hope that is the case. Uh, I mean, there's a, a handful of guests that we that we sort of stayed in touch with, but you can just see that, that when they arrive, sometimes they've had a long drive and they can be a, a little bit tense. And, and then when you see them when they leave, they're just so much more relaxed. Yeah, and we get all of these um, comments in the in the guest book. We have a, a sort of more of a sketchbook and it's um, some really amazing artists, but also lovely comments about um, connecting again with each other. And one of the things that we've done is we could have put Wi-Fi into, our, into the space, well, the, the, the piggery space that we have, but we chose not to. And people really appreciate that. And there's no, this is the other thing, there's no mobile signal where we are. So you really are. It's a forced detox and people really love that. You know, if they want to get 4G, then they, they've got to walk to get it. You know, they're right up the top of the hill. Uh, but where we are, there is no um, mobile. And 5G, I mean, no, no way. <laughs> that doesn't exist on Dartmoor. <laughs> I know it's something that um, Canopy and Stars is really thinking about is the sort of broader access to nature. So who have you who have you hosted? Who have you had come to visit? I know you've done quite a lot. Yeah, well, we've had... Um, in the first couple of years, so this was really during lockdown and and around lockdowns, we we the first year we we ran a camp for some parents and families from our old school in inner city Bristol, which was brilliant. And then last year we worked with um, Black to Nature, Maya Rose Craig's Bird Girls um, organisation, 
And uh, and that was, uh, again, families, um, mainly from Bristol, people with barriers of, you know, whether they're social, economical, cultural barriers to nature. So uh, we did that. And now where we're really at is um, trying to create more of a long term partnership with an organization in Devon where we can where we can really sort of link in with them and, and create something that can can really build. So tomorrow we're, we're meeting with um, a refugee charity based in um, Exeter and Plymouth to, to see how we can how we can link in with them. What's the plan for that? Well, the plan for that is to, uh, so we, we've got accommodation here and we can run residential camps and things. But what we'd love to do is to have something that feels a bit more um, part of the pattern of their lives. They, they have a women's uh, group that um, meets once a month has a community garden project in Exeter as well, which they do um, more often than that, so maybe weekly. So we're developing a permaculture garden here where we um, want to specialise in growing um, medicinal herbs and leaves and salad leaves and, and things like that, So, it, as well as flowers. So it feels like um, we'd love to see a way of developing that permaculture where the group can really sort of take take ownership of it. It's, it's not really us driving it forward. They will make the decisions and what they want to do. That's kind of the next step, isn't it, to getting that taste, the bit of access, mm. is then that sense of ownership. If you've grown something, you've planted something, you can really bind yourself to, to nature and feel more value from it there, I think. I completely agree. And I think it gives um, any kind of activity here with, um, that we might do so much more purpose. It has a meaning beyond just a, a sort of a day trip. There's an end product of value. And we're not sort of talking commercial value, but something they can take home and they can eat and they can use and and we can learn from each other as well. Um, so it's back to that sort of having the space, um, not necessarily having all the ideas, definitely not having all the answers, but um, wanting to work with people where we can we can do some interesting things that that benefits them. It well, benefits all of us, really. Um, so our kids will learn from um, being around them. You know, we hope to sort of tie that in with cooking as well and cooking being this thing that brings communities together. So hopefully we can cook some interesting um, meals with the produce of the garden. When you get those groups, when you get those inner city kids, especially, I imagine, how do they respond to, to, to that change of environment? It must be incredible. It, yeah, I mean, I think it is. I think it's easy to, to forget. I mean, even um, where we are um, in um, our, our local towns to us, Newton Abbott, um, it's right on the edge of the, the moor, effectively. But there's a bunch of kids there that just never never even been to the moor. So for kids that are coming from um, Bristol, that's even more pronounced. Um, you know, it's you, there is this sort of nature poverty. And, and even though there are little pockets of green in the city, it's very, very different to having um, sort of you know, acres to run around in, and that sort of sense of space and and the the peace and calm of this of, of being in the countryside compared to the city. So, it can be quite transformational, and um, it takes them a little while to adjust. But once they're once they're in the flow, they just you know it's so it's so amazing to see them just running wild, and and their parents seeing that their kids are just able to just be themselves and let loose and especially over the last couple of years, the stress and pressures that everyone's been under. Um, so, yeah, it feels really wonderful to be able to um, provide that. Yeah, it must, it must be an incredible feeling to, to see that you have you can have that effect on people that you, by something so simple as just letting them be in that space. Yeah, hopefully it sort of tunes them in and their family, their parents to, to the value of that of the time in nature. And, and it is possible to try and build that more into, um, into your life in the city. A lot of this stuff is free. It's it's harder to access in the city, but it's free and it's really good for them and good for their kids and, and just makes them happier and healthier, really. Decent night skies must be quite a thing for city people. Yeah, 
I, absolutely. I mean, if you've only ever grown up in a city, even when you go on holiday to, you know, lots of places don't have that sort of, this is a dark sky reserve. So you really, on a clear night, it is, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, um, yeah, it's quite mesmerizing. And, and I think that's one of those sort of, wow. This is the this is the universe that we're in. We're this small sort of part of something much bigger, and you know that's I guess nature. So um, that's very grounding, and that's what I love about um, a stroll up the hill when you get those sort of big views. It's like when you're at the sea, you know, and you're just looking at that horizon. You feel tiny, and I think that's really. I mean, it's something that I I yearn for, and and that's what I love about being by the coast. We're not by the coast, but we do have that kind of similar feel with those big big views where you just feel the sort of power and and the scale of nature and that we're sort of part of it well that was plenty of food for thought from both tom and Gemma on how nature can play a role in our creativity and communities as well as our mental and physical health if you're in need of a little inspiration i thoroughly recommend heading to jupiter artland or down to south combine to let your mind run free for a bit you could even take a walk in the park dare i say it without a podcast to listen to and help clear your mind for new thoughts Remember to like, review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you outside again soon.